Good morning, church. My name is Mark Rowland. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. You ever uh, find yourself um, faced with a difficult decision? Lots of times, I'll bet, huh? Sometimes it's a choice between staying where you are and moving into something new. I, I mean, you're absolutely right. Life requires us to take a risk. And sometimes it is God who's calling us to a new heading, to a, uh, a new adventure, and to a new direction. Sometimes it's a really big change, and, and other times it's, it's a small change. But a big change, small change, it does not matter. What matters is that as a people of God, we learn how to listen to God and obey His direction. And what we'll discover is that when we take that first step in obedience to God's direction, God will bless it. It takes faith, though, completely trusting God's will for the next step in our life. Well, it's uh, about 1400 B.C., and Moses has died, having never reached the promised land. Uh, He could see it from Mount Nebo, but he couldn't step into it. You see, 40 years earlier, they were at Kadesh, on the verge of taking that next step into Canaan. But before they did, they sent 12 men to explore the land, and some 40 days later, they came back to give the report. And they said, the, the land is beautiful, it is flowing with, with milk and honey, but the people who live there are well fortified, the cities are, are powerful, And the people are huge. They are so big, we felt like grasshoppers in their presence. And so fear has brought this adventure to a screeching halt. But there was a minority report from two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, who say, hey, the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid. We can do this. Let's go. Let's move forward. But they don't listen. And the next 40 years is spent wandering in the wilderness. But now God has appointed Joshua to be that next generation of young leaders. And in Joshua chapter 1, he he gets his orders from God. Let's hear God's word. Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. And I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the great river, the Euphrates, all the Hittite country, to the Mediterranean Sea in the west. And no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse 7. Be strong and very courageous. And be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may be successful wherever you go. And keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. 
Then you'll be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Now, the first thing that I noticed reading through those passages is how oftentimes God said, be strong and courageous, like four or five times. Why? Remember, it was fear that resulted in the delay getting into Canaan. I mean, they, they looked at the opposition, they looked at their opportunities, they countered the threats, and they decided, we can't win this one. They were not ready to, to take that step forward and to take a risk and move forward. God can, fear can do that, you know. I mean, almost all of us struggle with a fear or a phobia of some sort, right? Maybe when you were a child, you have this fear that you developed. And, and while it may seem like a distant memory, it still tends to affect you. Perhaps some of those fears have stayed with us. Some fears are developed later on in life as a result of a situation or a circumstance uh, that we have faced. I've shared before one of my fears uh, is needles. And a doctor friend of mine uh, who knew my fear of needles played a joke on me one time. I had been having uh, knee issues, and so I went to him for some advice, you know, and he had me, uh, you know, laying on the, on the exam table, and, you know, you're kind of vulnerable anyhow. You know, you don't have much on except, you know, one of those little exam robes or whatever, and, and uh, he looks at my knee and he says, uh, he says, Mark, he said, um, I think I can help you. And he pulls out the biggest hypodermic needle I have ever seen. I mean, it must have been used for elephants or rhinos. It was huge. He said, I think I can help you, but it's going to hurt. A lot. Mm. Fear's no laughing matter, is it? You see, when we fear something, it's usually accompanied by this array of negative feelings. You know what I'm talking about? You know, you get that feeling like somebody has punched you in the gut, and, and then your, your palms get all sweaty. You start to breathe faster. Your heart rate begins to increase, and pretty soon that adrenaline is shooting through your veins, you know? And you want to run. <laughs> but at worst, fears can absolutely overtake us. And sometimes we get to the point where the only thing we can focus on is how horrible the circumstances are around us. And it can sometimes completely paralyze our ability to even be rational, to focus on something else, or, or even to function until that fear begins to subside. Now some of us, we are risk-adverse to everything. You know, those folks, no matter what is suggested, they are always able to see what could go wrong. Now, sometimes it's helpful to have those people in your life, you know. You want to know where those landmines are, but, but, you know, there are some folks, you know, and say, hey, here's something new. Let's try this. And first words out of their mouth is, we can't do this. Can't do it. And that's where Israel finds themselves. But the thing is, God has been preparing Joshua for this moment for 40 years. I mean, God does that. I, I sometimes go through things, and, and years later, I'm like, oh, that's why I went through that. So I could, I could have some, some skills, some preparation for what I'm going through now. 
And that's what he does with Joshua. Well, the first thing he does uh, is send two men to go to Jericho to check out their defenses. And there they're met by a woman named Rahab. And Rahab is a prostitute. But they're discovered, and they are on the verge of being arrested when she hides them on her roof. Now, this, she seems like a minor character, no big deal. But she takes this incredible risk to save their lives. And she ends up being the grandmother or great-grandmother of King David. And she's in the ancestral line of Jesus himself. So the first thing that Joshua needs to do is to get his troops across the Jordan River. Normally that's not a big deal. The Jordan is not much wider than about 20 feet across. I mean, you look at the Ohio River, that's like a half a mile. The Jordan looks more like a, like a creek. But it's at flood stage. And so it's, it's raging and it's deep and it's wide. But before they cross, Joshua has to get them ready. And, and in chapter 3, verse 5, he says this. He says, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow the Lord will do amazing things among you. You see, God was about ready to, to work a miracle. The whole situation created this atmosphere of, of supernatural power just waiting to happen. Now, to consecrate means to, to set yourself apart for the work of God. And in the Old Testament, that generally meant both this, this outward cleansing, uh, washing and, and changing your clothes, and it also meant this inner preparation, this, this, this cleansing of, of repentance and getting yourself ready. In other words, we, we can't stay the way we are. We need to change. We need to... We, we need to move forward. We have to put off our, our old habits. We need to put off our, our old ways of doing things. We need to sometimes let go of those old traditions that can impede us and adapt some new habits and, and some new ways of doing things. And so they do, and now they're ready. And verse 14 says, And so when the people broke camp to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now, the Jordan is at flood stage all during the harvest. And yet, as soon as the priest who carried the ark reached the Jordan and their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. So the people crossed over opposite Jericho. And the priest who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord stopped in the middle of the Jordan and stood on dry ground while all Israel passed by until the whole nation had completed the crossing on dry ground. You see, nothing was going to happen until they took that first step into the flood water. God was going to do a miracle, but it wasn't going to happen until someone put their feet in the water. See, most of us, we want to see the miracle first, and then we'll go ahead and take the risk. Then we'll go ahead and take that first step. But not in God's uh, universe. You see, real faith is not something that you say. Real faith is not something that you feel. It's not something that you think. It's, it's not something that you believe. Real faith is something that you do. And so James writes in, in chapter 2, verse 19, he says, You believe there is one God. Good. 
Even the demons believe that and shudder. You see, there's a lot of people who have strong beliefs in God, the Bible, uh, about Christ. They can recite, recite creeds to you and, and catechisms and talk about the doctrines of the Trinity and quote to you Bible verses. But James says, big deal. Just saying I believe in God is not enough. Even the devil believes that. The devil is a, a great theologian. The, do, the devil knows more theology than we do. The, bio, the, the, the devil knows the Bible frontwards and backwards. And he believes. And the demons tr tr believe and tremble. That's as far as it goes. You see, that word believe means to trust. It means to, to cling to. It means to rely on. It means to commit yourself completely. I'm a Christian because I believe in Jesus, but it's more than just a head knowledge. You see, a lot of us are, are missing what God wants to do in our lives. We're missing it by 18 inches between here and here. A lot of us have it up here in our heads, but we haven't gotten it down here in our hearts yet. We say, I believe in God. James says, big deal. Everybody believes in God. So it's not just something that we say. It's not something that we think. It's not something that we feel or believe. Real faith is when we take that first step. Well, they cross uh, the Jordan River on dry ground. Uh, Jericho was about five miles west of the river, and it was well fortified. Uh, archaeologists tell us that there was a 15-foot stone wall topped by a mud brick wall six feet thick and about 18 to 24 feet high. And so Joshua, he's, he's gathered with his generals, and they're trying to come up with this battle plan. Okay, we're going to need a lot of ladders to get over the walls. We're going to need some battering rams uh, against these gates. But um, God has a different plan, and we learn about it in chapter 6. The Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. And when you hear them, sound a long blast on the trumpets. Have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up. Everyone straight in. Really, God? That's your plan. We're going we're gonna to send the choir in first, the trumpet players, the drummers, Sopranos and altos? Really, God? Listen again to what God says. I have delivered Jericho into your hands. Not will deliver, but I have delivered. You see, as far as God is concerned, this is a done deal. It's an accomplished fact. And the writer of Hebrews would write in, in chapter 11 these words, Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, if you can see it, it's not faith. And then in verse 30, he writes, By faith the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched around them for seven days. You see, they had courage because they believed in God's promise. 
Now, courage doesn't mean that you don't have fear. It means that we move forward in spite of our fear. Now, let me say, there's a fine line between courage, faith, and stupidity, okay? You need to know the difference. They moved forward and they defeated the enemy because they were trusting in the promise of God. God had told them already, you go ahead and do this and, and I'm going to be with you. The walls will come down. And that's important. You know, in, in Jesus' temptation, the devil comes to him and he tells him, jump off the high point of the temple here. He says, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. And then the devil quotes scripture to Jesus. Isn't that something? Psalm 9, he quotes Psalm 91. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully so they will hold you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. But Jesus comes back quoting scripture himself. Yes, but it is said, do not put the Lord your God to the test. So we need to know the promises of God. We need to know God's word. We need to know what God is calling us to do. See, some people think they've heard from God and they haven't. Amen? Right? So don't go out today and jump off the Roebling Bridge because the pastor told you to. That's not courage. That's not faith. It's what? It's, okay, you with me? Okay. So how, how, how do we grow in our courage? How do we grow in our faith? Let me mention two things. Prayer is the first thing. Um, we need to pray. Uh, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, he said, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one to whom knocks, the door will be opened. So what are you facing right now in your life? Is it unemployment? You're facing anxiety and depression, of bills, raided your bank account, left it empty. Maybe there's an illness that kind of hovers right now in your life, and it feels like a threatening storm. My friends, God knows it before we even ask. Not only that, God is concerned about every aspect of your life. And God loves you. And God cares about you. God is not some far-off deity. God is not, we're not praying to the cosmos. We're praying to our Heavenly Father who loves you. See, a lot of times I get into trouble because when I'm facing a battle, I focus on my smallness rather than on God's bigness. And when I focus upon God's bigness, the battle doesn't seem so overwhelming. And so Jesus sets down a spiritual principle here. It's a law of God. Now, this law is not self-evident. We cannot always tell if our prayer has been heard. It's not like we get this confirmation number, you know, after we call on heaven. So how do we know? It rests on the promise of Jesus. He says, ask and it will be given. That if you can come to believe in Jesus' word, you know that your prayer has been heard. It's a fact. But here's the thing you need to know. You have to ask to receive, you have to seek to find, and you have to knock to have the door open. And so Jesus is teaching here, don't pray in, in vague kinds of terms. Uh, don't pray with ambiguity. Lord, I hope maybe you could answer this prayer if it's your will. See, the promise of Jesus is that we will be heard. It's unqualified. There's no ifs. There's no buts about it. And so the greatest accomplishment 
is to believe that God listens to our prayers, and then we pray with this holy boldness, and then we leave the results up to him. I'm not telling you that God will give you everything that you ask for. If I had gotten everything from my parents I asked for, I never would have lived into adulthood, I'm sure. But what I am saying is sometimes we're just too timid when we talk to God, that he wants us to ask with this holy audacity that unveils our hearts before him, that tells it like it is, and then has enough faith to leave it up to him, the results. I mean, I still get my needs and my wants mixed up, but I'm learning to make that distinction. And Joshua learned, and he went through this open door into this realm of boldness and supernatural power. And so we need to have this simple, confident faith that God wants us to ask, and when we do, he hears us. And then we need to expect the supernatural to intervene. I'm so excited that God seems to be taking this church into a deeper corporate prayer life. I want to tell you a story. We have, uh, we have a man in our congregation who was in bad, badly needed a, a kidney transplant. Three weeks ago, near the end of the service, maybe some of you were here, uh, Pastor Sue Lee and some other staff members got up and, and they asked uh, for all of you to, to pray for him. And you did. Two weeks later, he got a phone call that there was a kidney and pancreas available for a transplant. Next day, he went into surgery. It went perfectly. A week later, he came home. His name is Doug. And Doug still has a long road in front of him. But Doug believes it was a miracle. And so do I. See, someone said that, uh, courage, or that courage is simply fear that has said its prayers. <laughs> Second thing we need to do is, is really to meditate upon God's word. God said to Joshua, keep the book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you'll be prosperous and successful. You see the promise here? If you want to be successful... In your spiritual life, meditate on God's law. If you want to know the promises of God, you need to read your Bibles to find out what they are. In fact, in, in Joshua chapter 8, it says that Joshua read all the words of the law to the whole assembly of Israel. Folks, one of the best ways to grow in your faith is to get into the Word. We have a Bible reading plan here that take you through the whole Bible in like 31 weeks. It's out there on the guest services deck. If you haven't gotten it yet, pick it up and start today. So again, let me ask you, what, what are you facing with right now? What, what are you faced with? Uh, what's that next battle? What's it feel like? And maybe it feels overwhelming. And maybe there are times you just want to turn and run the other way. Listen again to what God said to Joshua. He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus said something very similar as he ascended back into heaven after his resurrection. He said, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. I want you to leave today knowing that you are never alone. That Jesus knows how to lead you through the battle. 
He's had a few battles of his own. In fact, uh, here on earth, enemies attacked him with accusations. No home, no bed. Crowds had huge expectations pressing on him, the religious authorities, ensuring that he was sentenced to a brutal death. And he took on the biggest battle of them all, death itself, and he won. He can help you to do the same. Be strong. Be courageous in your faith. Take the first step. Let's pray. God, all of us here today, we're either facing a battle or we're in the middle of one. We've just finished one. God, it is uh, courage and faith in you that will get us through it. Increase our faith. Help us, Lord, to believe not just with our heads, but also with our hearts. And help us, God, to take that first step. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.